According to the ABC News affiliate in Pittsburgh, Senator John Fetterman just sent a letter to the CEO of Norfolk Southern Railway urging the company to help residents of Darling Township. According to the Pittsburgh Capital Star, Senator Fetterman just introduced legislation in the Senate aimed at preventing future train derailments like the one we saw in East Palestine. But in reality, Senator Fetterman did neither of those things because for the past two weeks, he's been isolated in a psych ward, allegedly for depression, as he has struggled to recover from a major stroke. It is troubling that some staffer, one presumes, has appointed himself senator in Fetterman's place. It's even more troubling that the establishment media would publish this kind of propaganda, this absurd, without even so much as asking, hmm, how did Senator Fetterman do all those things from his hospital ward? But the most troubling thing of all is that a U.S. senator can fail to function, can remove himself from the government entirely. That a U.S. president, for that matter, can fail to function. And somehow, the presence or absence of those people has no effect on the way the government is run. I'm Michael Knowles. This is The Michael Knowles Show. Welcome back to the show. Be sure to smash that like button. That's right. Destroy that button with facts and logic and subscribe and leave a comment. Sometimes our friends on the big tech platforms don't love what we say. So it's always nice to kind of juice that algorithm a little bit. My favorite comment yesterday is from Jonil Krajewski, who says, Michael's Dennis Prager impression sounds more like a discount Sean Connery. What do you mean, Blofeld? I, uh, you will never get away with it, Blofeld. I will destroy your plans with the free market and with the power of religion. With the difference between men and women, I'm Sean Connery. I couldn't tell, should I do that bit as Sean Connery or as Dennis Prager? I guess I ended up doing it as neither. I have to call my friend Dennis Prager and apologize for that. When you want to call your friends, you got to check out Pure Talk. Right now, head on over to puretalk.com. Use code Knowles. When times get tough, money's tight. Who can you rely on? Did you know Pure Talk saves the average family over $900 a year when they switch from Verizon, ATT, or T-Mobile? Instead of paying a fortune with your current cell provider every month, cut your bill in half with Pure Talk. You can get unlimited talk, text, and plenty of data for just 30 bucks a month. Pure Talk is so sure you're going to love their service, they're backing it up with a 100% money-back guarantee. Switch over to Pure Talk in as little as 10 minutes while keeping your phone and your phone number. Their U.S.-based customer service team makes the switch really easy. Besides the fact that you're saving up to $900 a year, Pure Talk is a veteran-owned company that shares your values and is the antidote to woke wireless companies. Your first month is guaranteed risk-free. Go to puretalk.com, enter promo code Knowles, K-N-W-L-E-S, to save 50% off your first month. That is puretalk.com, promo code Knowles, K-N-W-L-E-S. Pure Talk is simply smarter wireless. Doesn't seem to be a lot of Democratic oversight going on right now in Pennsylvania, or rather in the U.S. Senate regarding the senator from Pennsylvania. Assuming John Fetterman is not actually doing anything from his hospital room, then who's introducing this legislation? If John Fetterman can't carry out the duties of a senator, and it's no knock on him, the guy should have been allowed to recuperate from his stroke, then he needs to resign. And we need a new senator. 
And the people of Pennsylvania ought to know that. People of the whole United States ought to know that. But, but increasingly, we are seeing a turning away from democratic oversight, particularly among Democrats. There was a woman who went viral yesterday. She's an Arizona teacher explaining why parents should have no right to control the books that are on the curricula that their, their kids are being taught. This involves a bill called SB 1700, would require the Arizona Department of Education to maintain a list of books that public educational institutions may not use or make available to students. Now, before people start whining about book bans and book burning and we need to allow all books, you know that that isn't true. First of all, the most important book in our whole civilization is currently banned in schools. You're not allowed to teach the Bible in schools, which is absurd. But there are plenty of books that are banned in schools or that have been banned that should be banned. Pornography. You're not allowed to have a, a huge porn collection in schools. Well, at least you weren't until recently. Now, actually, woke teachers are smuggling in specifically gay porn. So this bill says you're not allowed to have lewd or sexual books, books that promote gender fluidity or gender pronouns or groom children or normalize pedophilia. And this bill, I'm just quoting from the text of the bill, by the way, grants parents the right to request removal of the school district or, or charter school library or classroom materials, extends public review periods for library materials and district textbooks, and removes exceptions from district curriculum approval and school library access requirements. Really pretty basic stuff. Parents have the right to not have their kids exposed to weird, creepy porn and pedo stuff in the schools, in the public schools that they're funding. Seems pretty normal, right? One teacher says absolutely not. Parents have no right to do this because some parents don't even have a master's degree. I have a master's degree because when I got certified, I was told I had to have a master's degree to be an Arizona certified teacher. We all have advanced degrees. What do the parents have? Are we vetting the backgrounds of our parents? Are we allowing the parents to choose the curriculum and the books that our children are going to read? I think that it's a mistake. I'm just speaking from the heart. Um, the one line that I love is, uh, we must remember that the purpose of public education is not to teach only what parents want their children to be taught. It is to teach them what society needs them to be taught. We have master's degrees. What do these parents have? Right reason and proper perception and a good formation and a rational will and love for their children? But they don't even have a master's degree. I do not wish to demean anybody's educational accomplishments or credentials or whatever. These degrees mean nothing. They mean nothing. A master's degree means nothing. A bachelor's degree now means nothing. A PhD still in many disciplines still means something, I guess, but in some disciplines, actually not that much. It, there are plenty of very smart, good, normal people with master's degrees. Some, listen, some of my best friends have master's degrees, okay? But it doesn't mean anything. And the fact that this woman got her master's degree because she needed that to get this job as a teacher working to peddle this crazy left-wing agenda means that it means even less than it ever did. What are we really talking about here? 
once you get past all the credentialism and all the bureaucracy and all the layers that the state has established to mold your children's minds, the question is, hey, what should your kids learn? And if the lady with the master's degree says your kids should be taught gay porn in the fifth grade, then that does not speak very highly of the credential. But this is what they say. They say, you don't, if you don't have the special credential, then you don't get to have a say about how your kids are raised, how your government is conducted, what your immigration policy is, what the foreign policy is, nothing. The state of education is pretty sorry right now. I was having a conversation with my friend Spencer Clavin just a couple of nights ago, and Spencer knows a thing or two about education. He has a PhD, one of, one of those with the PhD who's one of the good ones. And Spencer Clavin mentioned a clip to me, and he said, Michael, you have to see this clip. It is so sad, but, but not sad in the way that everybody else is saying it's sad. I think like the biggest thing that like annoys me in like the whole dating world is like talking stages. Like that's so annoying. Like the whole like, and just like the inconsistency in them. Like I literally like hate that like so much. But I think that's like my biggest thing. It's just like what what specifically? Just like the fact of just like you like. I don't know how to word this. Like in like talking stages, and it's just like you're like labeled that, and it's like people like are considered like you can't like you're just like confused and like most of the time like the girl get gets like attached or something and they like see it like it's going to lead to a relationship and it's always not and it's just like that's like my biggest thing is like i just hate the whole like how like talking stages are so like normalized like traditional dating does not exist in this generation so the reason people think this is really sad at the first layer is because of what this young woman is describing, or at least attempting to describe, which is that women get used in this hookup culture, which now is referred to as talking stages. Like one would say euphemistically, oh, we're not dating, we're talking. And what are the talking stages? Sort of like rounding first base, second base, that would probably be the old way to talk about it. But now there's not even a sense that so-and-so is my girlfriend, so-and-so is my boyfriend. It's just, oh yeah, we're talking, we're doing this, we're doing that. You, know, you don't really know. There's no commitment here. And so she's lamenting this, and so that's sad. The somewhat deeper reason that people are saying that this is a very sad clip is because the woman is not the most articulate. So people are kind of making fun of the woman for speaking this way. I am not making fun of her. She seems like a perfectly nice girl. She's describing a serious problem, and she's doing it as best she can. And if she is a person under the age of 50 in America, then she has had probably a pretty crappy education, and that's not her fault if she's not totally articulate. The deepest reason, though, that I think this is a really sad clip is that that one line there where she says, I don't know how to say this. I don't know how, and this woman is using the same five or six words for the whole clip, and she's struggling. There's something that she wants to express that she can't express because she doesn't know the words to use to express the thing that she is perceiving and feeling. That's what's so sad. And it's, it's an issue that I talk about all the time. It's the point of my book, Speechless, Controlling Words, Controlling Minds, which is available. There we are. We have it. If you can't articulate a problem, you can't solve the problem. Language establishes the limits and contours 
of our thought, of our consciousness, of the way that we perceive and conceive of the world. Not just what we think, but what we even can think. I'll give you a great example of this that I was thinking about just the other day in the Italian language. There is no word in Italian for privacy. When, when Italians talk about privacy, they just say, la privacy. Abbiamo bisogno della privacy. They use the English word, which tells you a lot about the Italian culture. <laughs> tells you something serious about the Italian culture, which is that Italians don't value privacy in any way and never have. So if they're going to refer to this concept, they refer to it as a foreign concept and they use a foreign word. If your culture doesn't have a word for privacy, then your culture is not going to have privacy. The fact that the liberals control our language, they do their best to shape our language and make us use stupid pronouns and tell us we can't say all sorts of words. The reason they do this is not just because they're scolds. The reason they do this is not because they're neo-Puritans, not entirely at least. The reason they do this is because they know that if they take certain words out of our vocabulary and they twist the meaning of other words, it's going to completely warp the way that we view the world. We won't even be able to express our dissatisfaction and our objections to the things that they are doing. This, this liberalism in the air, it's just, it's like a pollutant just constantly all over the air. When you want to get pollutants out of your air, you've got to check out rabbit air. Head on over to rabbitair.com, say Michael Knowles sent you. I adore all of my sponsors. I adore them all. I do, it's like children. I don't pick favorites. However, sometimes in some circumstances, some sponsors, much like certain children, can really show their mettle, can really be very convenient and helpful. And that would be Rabbit Air. When I am smoking a stogie, Rabbit Air's award-winning air purifiers are the top of the line. Some of the best in the industry. They've got advanced six-stage filtration and deodorization that can reduce airborne particles, odors, and pollutants to keep your air clean and fresh. This air purifier is extremely customizable. It's got an interchangeable faceplate design, wall mount, floor stand, four custom filtration options for odor remover, cigars, toxin absorber, for VOCs, all of it. You can do it on your phone, smart sensing technology. It's just unbelievable. It's so good. You know how much I love Stogies. I got it in my office right now. It is by far the best air filtration system I have ever used. It's not even close, especially if you love cigars. Visit rabbitair.com to speak to a rabbit air consultant. That is R-A-B-B-I-T-A-I-R.com. Don't forget to check out their artists series and special editions for more aesthetically pleasing product design. Make sure to tell them that Michael Knowles sent you. Speaking of the importance of symbols, my man over in El Salvador, Naib Bukele, the president of El Salvador, has another Great propaganda video out. We played earlier this week a propaganda video from the El Salvadoran president of all these MS-13 gangsters just being hauled around this giant prison like insects, looking so weak, so humiliated. Then there was a, an answer video to that. The kind of complimentary video to that was the president addressing the army troops who have rounded up all these gangsters. And it was bright and it was inspiring and he was talking about God and it was great. Now we've got another propaganda video. It's a propaganda video of the president sending these gangster prisoners to go destroy tombstones that have MS-13 symbols on them. I love this video. You see their MS right there on a tombstone. And you'll see too the symbolism of Santa Muerte, all this occult 
demonic, downright satanic symbolism, which has always been associated with MS-13. MS-13 has a deeply satanic element to it. And so what does the president do? He not only destroys their monuments, these occult, criminal, gangster, satanic monuments, he has the gangsters do it themselves. He forces them to do this. Is this authoritarian? I guess, as I've said before, I don't really know what that word means. As far as I can tell, the word authoritarian is just the word to describe one's political opponents. Whenever, whenever we do something in politics, that's good, that's wonderful, that's, that's very liberal, that's great. But when our opponents do something in politics, that's always authoritarian. So sure, call it authoritarian. This is my kind of authority, baby, because the president in El Salvador is the legitimate civil authority. He inherited this massive problem where there was a rival power. The rival power to the duly elected government is the gangsters, these, these absolute devils who rape, kill, pillage, and burn. And so what does the president do? He says, we're going to get rid of their power. And not only are we going to round them up, and not only are we going to cut off their commerce, we're going to d- humiliate them, and we're going to destroy their symbols and their gravestones. We are going to desecrate everything about these people because there's nothing sacred about what they're doing. Everything they do is sacrilegious, in fact. Really important. And the squishes don't quite get this. The squishes are the kinds who will say, oh, who cares whether you call a man he or she? Who cares? Let's talk about something important like taxes. Come on, let's talk about something that really matters, like the deficit or whatever. Who cares if we call a man he or she? Well, the, the libs care. That's why they spend so much time focusing on it. And they care because symbols matter. Symbols might be the most important thing in politics. These symbols are how we communicate with one another. Symbols are what binds a community together. If someone comes in and controls all the symbols, changes all the symbols to... to better jibe with their political program, then they're going to control the political order. So Bukele knows it's not enough to just round up the the physical criminals. You've got to change the symbols too. And that, that changes the meaning of our political communities. Hershey's showed this just, just yesterday. Hershey showed this with the her for she campaign. Her for she campaign was for International Women's Day. And what her she did was they went all feminist, but there was a twist on it. They went feminist and then cast a man dressed as a woman in the role of the woman for International Women's Day. My name is Faye Johnstone. I'm the executive director of Wisdom to Action. We can create a world where everyone is able to live in public space as their honest and authentic selves. See the woman changing how we see the future at Hershey's Canada. I know. I know. Everyone knows. It's so offensive in every way to every group, it seems. It's so offensive that you know it crossed Jeremy's mind, right? You know, so actually some of you tweeted it at us. You said, this company, this, I just want to eat my chocolate, 
but this company is just rubbing my face in this stupid, not only woke feminist ideology, but this woke trans feminist ideology. Ah, you, you know it crossed Jeremy's mind, but you probably thought, there's no way, there's no way that Jeremy would actually launch a chocolate company. If he, if he did, there's no way that he would do it on the very day that Hershey's launched the trans campaign, right? Well, just because we launched Jeremy's Razors after Harry's canceled conservatives, took on Disney with hiring Gina Carano after they canceled her, sued the federal government over the vax mandate and won. People think that we can just take on every woke company when they make these ridiculous statements. Of course, we can't do that every time. Or can we? You might be thinking, how could you have launched a chocolate company in one day? Well, they don't call him the God King for nothing. Don't wait. Pre-order your Jeremy's Chocolate now at IHateHershey's.com. That is IHateHershey's.com. Get your he, him, and she, her chocolate bars today. Yet another way to stop giving your money to woke corporations that hate you. Back to Hershey's for a second. Hershey's... Hershey's made an error here, I think, and irritated a lot of the customers. But they they exposed something that a lot of people don't understand about the way our culture works. A lot of people believe that the problem that our society faces is that we put too much value on our bodies, on material goods, on the stuff of this world. We deny the soul. We deny metaphysical morality. we We deny everything, right? No. What, what this Hershey's ad and transgenderism broadly, what it, what it shows you is that increasingly we think the body doesn't matter at all. Increasingly, we live our lives digitally. Increasingly, we live our lives on our phones or in the metaverse or on internet forums. And so we don't think the body matters. We think it can all be, we Zoom, we Skype, it's all digital, we work from home. No, this is where the meme of go touch grass comes from. People saying, go put down the screens, go outside, go do something, go do something in the real world with real people in real time and space. Because if we live our lives as though the body doesn't matter, we're going to come to think that the body doesn't matter. Lex Arandi, Lex Credendi. If we, if we live our lives just like couch potatoes plugged into the matrix where we do everything digitally, then, then we're, not only are we going to accept trans ideology, we're going to accept all of it even if we don't want to, because belief follows our behavior and the rituals that we engage in. No surprise here from Hershey's, but it's, a, it's something that we should all watch out for. We need some accountability. Remember that word? We were taught to have it from a young age, or we should have been. But if we weren't, then we think the world revolves around us, and that's not healthy for anybody, as we are witnessing every day. But don't take my word for it. Listen to this clip from Jordan Peterson's new five-part series, Vision and Destiny, only on Daily Wire+. Plus. It's unpopular children who say, oh, well, the game is only going to be the one I want to play. And those children, other children just move away from there. They, they alienate and isolate them instantly. And they go look for other play partners. Those kids are no fun. And, and it's because they're too insistent that their subjective state dominate the social space. And that's exactly what's happening on the identity politics front. It's like, well, I feel I'm this way. And you better treat me like that or else. It's like, you are a bad little kid. You're a kid that never learned how to play. 
and you're being fostered in your juvenile delusion by your narcissistic virtue signaling parents who aren't sensible enough to help you guide yourself towards the establishment of an identity that would allow you to be appreciated by other children. The third episode of Vision and Destiny is out today. New episodes are releasing every week, but it's all exclusive for Daily Wire Plus members. Join now at dailywire.com slash subscribe to watch Vision and Destiny. Speaking of the weird transgender stuff, another video went viral yesterday, which I wish I didn't have to subject you to, but I'm sure you saw it somewhere else anyway. It's from a family-friendly drag event in the United Kingdom called Kabababarave. It is, according to the advertisement, an exciting new event for parents and their babies. Babies. Not 18, not 16, not wait till eight. Babies and toddlers. A little slice of afternoon delight that provides show-stopping cabaret interspersed with captivating baby sensory moments ending in a rave. Here it is. So it's a guy dressed up in fetish bondage type gear with stiletto heels on all leather, dangling his mostly naked body around on leather ropes. Then a guy who is almost entirely naked wearing a thong. This is in front of little toddlers, little babies. He's got some kind of feather boa on. He's got a weird, that's really unpleasant to look at. All these kids there, there's a little little toddler crawling up, another one of these people, another one of these perverts just sort of dancing around. And the parents there too. I, I don't know how you can watch this and not conclude that the performers are pedophiles. I don't use that word lightly. I know a lot of people on the right use that word and they fling it around and they use it imprecisely. I don't see how you can dance around in a thong or in a leather harness in front of babies and toddlers if you are not a pedophile. So I'm, I would bet, if not the farm, I'd bet a lot of my money that that's the case and that's being normalized. I don't see how these parents should be permitted to keep their children. They're abusing their children. They're sexually abusing their children by taking them to these events. I don't see how whatever company is hosting this should be allowed to keep its doors open. All of this should be shut down by the heavy hand of the state. All of these people, other than the children, should be arrested. And some of them should face pretty severe consequences. That all goes without saying. When the conservative said that the drag queen reading hour for all the little kids, all these weird drag queens who really, really are gung-ho about spending time with a lot of really, really little kids, when they said that those guys might be pedos and creeps and sexual abusers, and then at Drag Queen Story Hour, a number of them turned out to be convicted child molesters. Wow, surprise, surprise. Everybody said this is being normalized. This is being normalized. And that's true. This is a slippery slope, of course. The conservatives are always right about the slippery slope. We've never been wrong. We've never once been wrong. When we say, golly, what they're doing now, in five years, it's going to be X, Y, or Z. We've never once been wrong about that. Sure. A lot of conservatives are reacting to this clip with shock and surprise. I am not. I am not shocked. I'm not surprised. I always assumed this was the end of it. I've said for many years this was the end of it, and the slippery slope is obviously going to lead here. I'm not surprised at all. And I'm not even surprised from a historical perspective. 
you know, think how far we've fallen. Back in the good old days, we never would have had these perverts doing weird sex stuff with kids. But now, because of this modern era, now this is the first time ever that perverts have done weird sex stuff with and to kids. No, not at all. I'm not shocked by that either. It is not shocking when perverts do weird sex stuff in front of and for and to and with and from and around kids. That's not what's shocking. What's shocking is when they don't. That's the exception. When they don't, that's the nice, happy break from the rule. All sorts of pagan cultures and backward societies around the world have done all sorts of creepy sex stuff with each other, with adults, with kids. They've practiced human sacrifice. They've practiced cannibalism. They've done all sorts of crazy stuff. That's the rule for humanity. The exception, the happy break from that is what we call civilization, specifically Western or Christian civilization, which said, no, not going to do that stuff anymore. You're not going to kill people and sacrifice them to the gods. You're not going to do your weird, creepy, sexual occult rituals. You're not going to do your weird demon performances where you pretend to be not only the other sex, but even these mythical creatures and dress up with horns on your head and all this. You're not, no, none of that. That's gone. (laughs) Sorry, no more. And if you do that, we're going to punish you because that is not good. If you do that because you have this deep feeling that you're the opposite sex, we're going to get you the psychological help you need. If you start doing creepy, weird stuff with kids and we're, we're going to punish you for that. Make sure you don't do that again. That's what we, and now that's weakening. And as Christian civilization has declined, as the role of Christianity and our Western traditions has declined in our society, what have we seen a rise in? We've seen a rise in abortion, which is child sacrifice. It's, there is no difference between what those ancient backward pagan people did and what we do. Our society slaughters children on the altar of our false gods. Today, we call it career or money. In some cases, they call it Satan overtly, witchcraft covens and all the rest of it. But often we use secular terms to describe. It's just the same thing. All the weird gender bendy stuff, totally pagan. All of the bizarre sexual rituals, totally pagan. No difference. People who complained about Christianity, oh, it's repressive. Oh, it's patriarchal. Oh, it's, I don't know, whatever people say. Even if you're not a Christian yourself, you're going to miss Christian civilization if it's gone, if it's ever gone. I like to think it won't be gone. Christianity will never be gone, but Christian civilization very likely will pass, at least for some period of time. And you are going to miss it when it is gone, I promise you. You know, speaking of the weird sex stuff, I've got to get to, there's just one story I want to get to before, before the mailbag, which is a, a guy, his, his name is Julio Cesar Bermejo. He's a Peruvian man, 26-year-old, who owns a mummy. He's got this 800-year-old mummy, and he keeps the mummy in a food delivery bag, and he calls the mummy his spiritual girlfriend and says the mummy's name is Juanita. And he was in for a big surprise. He was discovered having a picnic with his mummy, uh, the mummy with whom he sleeps every night, takes care of the mummy. He says, it sleeps in my bedroom with me. There's my bed, the TV set next to it. There's Juanita. I take care of it. It's like, if you'll pardon the expression, as if it were my spiritual girlfriend. And uh, so he was in for a big surprise because the authorities took the mummy when they found it, and they did a, an analysis of it. And it turns out 
Juanita was more likely Juan. It's a male mummy. I don't know if this is causing any psychological trauma for Julio Cesar Bermejo. I assume he's got other psychological problems here. The question I have for all the people who object to the social and cultural conservatives, obviously the libs, but even the squishes on the right, even the people who say, oh, live and let live, who cares? I don't want, don't, I'm not, don't yuck my yum. If it, if it doesn't hurt anybody, if it's just consenting adults, who cares? Why is this against the law? If that's your perspective, and if you're saying that when we try to legislate morality and legislate views of the good, the true, and the beautiful, and that's terrible and authoritarian and anti-American and wrong in every way, then why should this be against the law to sleep with an 800-year-old mummy every night and take out the mummy and call the mummy your spiritual girlfriend? Why can't Julio Cesar Bermejo keep his mummy boyfriend, if that's your view? The conservatives have an answer to that, which is that it's wrong and disordered and creepy and weird, and he needs to be normal and needs to get some help. And he and the law has to say, no, <laughs> no mummy boyfriend for you, Julio. You can't do that. <laughs> no, you need a human boyfriend or girlfriend if you're going to have one at all. But what about the libs and the squishes and the you do you as long as it doesn't hurt anybody else? It's a bag of bones. It's 800 years old. And especially if you think that the human soul is imaginary and there's no God and there's no heaven, there's no then who cares? Just a bag of bones. Why? What's wrong with it? Hmm? What's wrong with the mummy boyfriend? We finally arrived at my favorite time of the week. This mailbag is sponsored by Pure Talk. Go to puretalk.com, select a plan, enter code Knowles, K-N-W-L-E-S, to get 50% off your first month. Take it away with the voice mailbag. Good morning, Mr. Knowles. I'm reaching out for your advice on a topic involving my best friend of 20 plus years. He, uh, Recently was trying to cheat on his wife with my mother, of all people. He was sending her lewd messages, uh, saying things like, nobody has to know, obviously meaning me. Um, I know he and his wife have gone through a lot. She's had postpartum depression. I know they haven't gotten along very well lately. I think a lot of that's what drove him to this. I'm not making excuses, but I'm trying to give you as much as I can here. Um, as a Christian man, I... I I feel like, as a friend, I should help him through this dark time in his life with his marriage. But at the same time, I don't want to talk to him. I certainly don't want to see him. And I'm just wondering, as a man of God, what do you feel like my responsibility here should be? Thank you so much. God bless. When you started out asking that question, I assumed it was a troll. and it was... But by the... you sound sincere, so maybe this actually is happening. I guess what I would do is maybe send him a text. You're right. I don't think I'd want to go have a beer with him. I don't think I would want to even talk on the phone with him. Maybe send him a text though and say, hey man, you should not cheat on your wife and you certainly shouldn't sleep with my mother or proposition her at all. And you should seek help from a psychologist and confess your sins to a priest and then act normal. It's just like the last story I did. It's, this is unbelievable how many political problems would be solved if people just acted normal and understood that that is a legitimate political request. Especially on the right, because the right denies norms and, and standards. 
because we now say, oh, listen, you know, don't, I don't want the government coming in and telling me what to do or whatever. So we, we deny that norms and standards exist or taboos exist, but obviously they do. You shouldn't violate them. This is one of them. I don't know if your parents are still married. And so he's telling your mother to cheat on her husband with him or if she's widowed or divorced or something. But in any case, it's just all so disordered and just say, bro, get help and be normal and stop being a degenerate and a weirdo and a creep. Lovingly, your friend, so-and-so. Next question. Dear Michael, a friend of mine and I had a conversation discussing morality, and I could really use your help for the next time it comes up. I argue that morality does not change based on the person or situation. He argued that is a religious belief, and things like abortion can be justified. My problem came trying to explain why morality is absolute when people have different beliefs. I know you have covered similar topics on the show, and I could really use your help in articulating my thoughts. I know right from wrong, but when asked why, I feel that my justifications fell short. Sincerely, speechless, controlling words, controlling minds. Really good question, and you're absolutely right. Morality is objective, and it does not vary based on situation. The morality of an action does not change based on, say, the consequences that that, uh, could result from it. Now, if I heard you right, what you said is your friend's objection was, well, no, no, morality is religious, and therefore you can't make an argument against abortion. And he's half right. Morality is religious. Everything ultimately is religious. <laughs> but but it, it can be objectively true or objectively false. The, the reason your friend might be forgiven for his ignorance is because many, many people have bought into this lie. And it, it derives, frankly, from the way that we talk about religious freedom. The way that we talk about religious freedom today is very different than the way people talked about religious freedom in the past. In the past, people talked about religious freedom as a matter of prudence and toleration, that we're not going to be leading crusades and pogroms all the time. We're not, we don't want bloody conflict for 30 years between the Catholics and the Protestants. We don't want all that stuff. And so we're going to exercise a decent degree of religious toleration. Not the, the people who promoted this idea, by the way, did not su- suggest total religious toleration. Or the, uh, I'll, I'll even take the word religious out of it. The toleration of, say, Satanism or something like that, or atheism. That The people who advocated religious toleration explicitly rejected that idea. But they said, you know, people whose religious practices differ a little bit, we're going to, we'll do that as a matter of prudence. But all religions are not equally true. Some religions make claims that are truer than others. And ultimately, only one religion could be true in as much as that religion contradicts other religions. And and so to say, well, that claim is religious. Yeah, well, sure it is, but is it true or is it false? Uh, Matthew Petruzic has a, a great little diagram in a book about how to think about this. On one level, you've got politics. And we're talking about political issues like abortion. On another level, this, this is the level actually that politics is resting on. You have applied morality. How do we apply moral concepts to situations? Beneath that, you've got morality broadly. The, the moral order. Beneath that, you've got epistemology. How do we know things at all? Beneath that, you've got anthropology. What is human nature? Who, who are we knowing creatures? Beneath that, you've got ontology. What, is, what does it mean to be? And beneath that, you've got theology, which is ultimately what it all comes down to. What is 
what is real, what is the basis of reality. So yeah, that's what I would say. You say it's true, and so you've got to go through all of those stages. And if it comes down to a religious question, yeah, that's no surprise. Everything does. Next question. Hello, Michael. This is Dr. Ann Lesby, head of gender studies at ACL <laughs> University. I wish I could say it's a pleasure speaking with you, but that is not true. As a semi-trans, non-binary, fluid, neurodivergent woman of color, I find interaction with an intersectional oppressor such as yourself deeply repulsive and triggering. <laughs> Unfortunately, there is an urgent question I feel I must ask. Several days ago, Ari Drennan, the LGBTQWIIANBKPPS2 Plus Program Director at Media Matters, publicly exposed your unspeakably horrific plan to genocide trans people by denying them access to things like gender-affirming care, vaginoplasty, and women's bathrooms. <laughs> In response to Ms. Drennan, you launched a vicious gaslighting social media attack on her, denying your own genocidal statements, <laughs> falsely referring to her as your publicist, and inciting your rage mob of multiphobic fascist followers to engage in malicious mockery of Miss Drennan for <laughs> hours on end. But this was not enough, was it, Michael? You then issued a public invitation for Ari to debate you on your own show. So this is my question. How in good conscience, assuming you have one, can you expect a victim of threatened genocide, <laughs> violent verbal assault, and rampant misgendering to appear with you on your program? I await your reply. Thank you for the question, Dr. Lesby. How could I have such an expectation? I suppose because hope springs eternal in the human breast. Though, as you can see, I do not have breasts, and so perhaps I should harbor no such hope. Next question. Michael, you said that Trump and Republicans should not be talking about the stolen elections. So long as everyone ignores how Democrats are ringing elections, we will never win. 2020 and 22 prove the effectiveness of their methods. No party in history wins 51% of the vote when 75% of the country is against their policies. Provisional ballots cast without ID deliberately mixed in with legitimate ballots used to be their best method of fraud through multiple voting days. Now they just use anonymous mail ballots that are 100% fraud because you don't know who fills them out and keep on counting until they win. There's only one solution to this. One election day with only in-person voting, only with photo ID proof of citizenship. If no one talks about this and stops Democrats' election rigging, we will become a one-party Marxist dictatorship wherein Republicans are just there to be scapegoats. This won't be solved in corrupt courts that won't hear proof. Will we spread the word or just accept Democrats squelching the truth, mocking patriots as conspiracy nuts? Uh, good question. I think you may have misunderstood what I said, or maybe I was not clear in what I said. I do not believe that Republicans should stop talking about all the ways that the libs rig the elections. I think it's important to talk about that. It's more important, though, to just fix it, to go in and change the rules so that the Democrats don't give themselves such a big advantage. And when I'm talking about the way Trump should speak, I just don't think he should focus on it. I think that Trump, running for the Republican primary in 2024, should focus on passing Big Macs out to the people of East Palestine, Ohio, and should talk about trade, and should talk about 
foreign policy and should, should talk about things that directly affect people's day-to-day lives. And that, that doesn't mean that you ignore the ways that the libs rig the vote. Doesn't mean that you never mention it. Certainly doesn't mean you don't do anything about it. It just, in terms of what people want to hear, in terms of, I think, what will help Donald Trump win the Republican nomination, as he wants to do, and then win a general election, I think he's going to get a lot more support if he focuses on the way that the Biden administration is allowing a town in Ohio to be poisoned without doing anything about it, and it talks more about the disastrous foreign policy and the open border and the complete offshoring of American manufacturing and all the rest of it. I think, I, I think that's going to be more compelling to people than going back and complaining about all the ways that the libs rigged the election. No matter, no matter how much or how little the libs rigged the election, I, I just think that message is not going to resonate quite as well. And this is coming from me, who I, I am as persuaded as one can be of all sorts of shenanigans in 2020. The rest of the show continues now. You don't want to miss it. Become a member and use code Knowles, K-N-W-L-E-S at checkout for two months free on all annual plans.